You ever feel lost, uninspired, alone, or defeated? Well, I'm inviting you to some fellow dreamers for some insight. I believe dreams matter, and you have one, or two, or ten, I don't know. To tackle challenges with love instead of fear is the first step. So let's experience this together as we dive into the stills of life. Are you ready? Go with the flow. David good, James. Good to be here. Yes, thank you for coming here. It's my, my pleasure, and the wine is excellent. Thank you. This is the first time. Let's do a little yes. uh, toast here. Sounded to, well. To photography. I don't normally drink. Tastes even better. But it tastes really good. Yes, it does. With uh, good company and good cheese. I just want to start off, first of all, just telling you um, how honored I am. Um, I reached out to you several months ago online, um, and uh, you were generous enough to have me come and meet you and uh, talk photography, all the lessons, all the great stories you shared, and then just um, being very, very honest and direct with my uh, still photography, which is really awesome because... Um, that's better than people like beating around the bush. What's the point of beating around the bush? Because nobody learns anything. Exactly. Uh, and um, I've had that lesson, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Okay. And every time you were so like concise with your notes, I was like, I got more and more excited. So, and I feel like this might sound arrogant, but um, every time I meet up with you and I shoot another short film or whatever, um, I'm always looking through the lens like, well, how would David shoot it? Or... What am I going to crop out to make this stronger or more dramatic? So, I just, yeah, thank you for that. So I feel like I've gotten better. Good. I think. Good. I feel like the same thing. I feel like I get better too. I look at other people's work. I mentor yours and it makes me think about my work. I mentor my daughter's work. Yeah. And, and she's now just got huge posters in the Grove. She's got one that's 80 feet high Yeah. for the good liar. Right. right, but the way she works now is amazing, and and but the more I teach her, the more I learn myself. Oh, that's so I, cool. Well, I I give her an idea on lighting, and then I just done a shoot where I've got to invent some different sort of lighting, hmm. with lighting that fits a subject, not lighting that is just light a portrait. So I I lit using screwed up baking foil. Interesting. And bounce the light into it. And it was awesome. I've done that once before in my life. But this is the first time I've done it on someone's face. <laughs> and it was fascinating. And also the actor responded to it because he knew where he would have to put his face to get those little bits of light in his eyes. Right. It was very, you know, everything, if you ever, ever stop learning in photography, give it up. Well, good to know. I should, I should tell my friends that. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Especially the teachers. Yeah. <laughs> if you get lazy, just quit. Yeah. Okay? Just stop. Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because David James told me to tell you that. Right. You can quote me, please. Yeah. Now, you've, you've picked up the camera as a little kid. and I picked up my first camera was a Conway box camera. I don't know if people even know what the box camera is these days. There's a little square camera with a roll of film inside it. This Conway box camera had the built-in green filter, uh -huh. which it just slid out, and I loved it. I had no idea what it did, but I loved it. And I only shot black and white those days as well, so that was right. it. You don't want to shoot color with a green filter. Well, maybe. Maybe there's something to learn there. But I had that when I was about eight, nine years old, 
and I was so into it. I took it everywhere and I shot everything with it. But I tried to shoot selectively and not just shoot stuff. I did not shoot family pictures. <laughs> I shot scenery, buildings, yeah. light and shade. Yeah. And that was, that was my intro to photography. Now, you grew up, you are born and raised in England. I was born and raised in England. Yeah. In, I was born in the Second World War. Wow. Moved. We were born in Birmingham. Both my brothers and I were born in Birmingham which is an industrial city. At that time, its main product was aircraft parts, artillery guns, all that sort of heavy warfare stuff. So it was constantly being bombed. Oh, my gosh. And my mother told me stories about bombers and nights of being bombed. And, we, and as my brothers and I lived in three kitchen drawers, because oh there was no gosh. air raid shelter nearby, and my parents lived in a cage under the table. I remember nothing about it. Oh, Glad, good. Thankfully. Yeah. I only remember, I have one vision of standing on the doorstep of my house with my father and him explaining to me what barrage balloons were. And barrage balloons, for those who don't know, are huge airships. Air those huge, massive balloons, like the Goodyear, Goodyear Blimp, but these had obviously didn't have pilots, and they were filled with helium gas. They floated around the cities with heavy, heavy chains hanging from them to stop low-flying bombers and fighters coming in, because hopefully they would get mixed up in the chains. So it made their bombing less accurate, which made the houses got as much hit as the factories did. My gosh. Did so you survived it. Did you move around a lot? During we got bombed out once and then and at the end of the year we were living in Rendy so we had to vacate and we moved to London how old we were you to Watford. at that time how old were you at that time I was then um, six seven years old oh my six, gosh maybe about six because we, we went into we were put into foster care for a while and then till I could find housing for my family my parents then we moved into a house and we stayed in that house so but we moved we moved to Watford area because we had a aunt, couple of aunts and uncles lived that area, so oh my they gosh. knew it, and then we we followed them. Jeez, someone's got to make that movie. Oh, I'm writing the book. You are? Yeah. Someone said um, Jay Glennie, well-known author in England, who writes books about movies yeah. and movie people. He said you've got to do this. I said okay, I will. Uh, That's I'm, fantastic. I'm working on it s slowly. I need more wine to drink you know, while I'm doing it. So, oh, I don't know about that. If you have more wine, you might see extra letters on that keyboard. Well, I might see get more vivid memories too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's amazing. But that that intro into into the world of taking pictures did me well when I MGM when I was ten years old. MGM came and filmed right outside my little village school. Yeah. And it was a church school, so it was, it was a little old flint building. Next to it was the Norman church uh -huh. and the cemetery. And opposite the cemetery, there were some Elizabethan houses, and one was a hairdressing salon, a little shop. And MGM were filming the day I arrived to school. And there's a Rita Hayworth movie. I don't know the name of the movie, but I just played hooky from class. I kept taking bathroom breaks all day long. And I kept going outside and hiding behind gravestones, watching 
in film. Rita Hayworth. And the one thing that really, really fascinated me was the still photographer. He was going on, he had two, what I didn't know then, but fascinated by with Rolly Flexes. And he just walked around the set taking pictures. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That's that when is. it struck. Oh my God, yeah. And that, that was then it for me. I wanted to, that job. Yeah. And I quit school. I, I went on to senior school. And then I, in my last year, I wrote to MGM. I wrote to J. Arthur Rank Studios, which is Pinewood. I wrote to Shepperton and EMI. I said, I want to be a still photographer in the business. And they all wrote, only MGM answered my thing, said, you can't, we can't give you a job because you're not in the union. Here's how you dress for the union. I hear that all the time. I wrote to the union and they said, no, no, we can't give you a job unless you've got, we can't give you a union ticket unless you've got a job. So I wrote back to MGM saying, you're wrong. This is what I got from the union. And they wrote back to me saying, the last letter they wrote to me says, no, union's wrong. We can't just give you a job. You have to be in the union. And that was what in the days they called the closed shop. They probably still do. But I, my uncle owned a pub. I used to go there. I know it's probably illegal, but my uncle owned it. <laughs> my, I, had a, I had a little job in, the, in a, a technical drawing office when I was just just after my 15th birthday. Uh -huh. was, I had to get a job somewhere, earning nothing. But I had this job and I hated it. I couldn't even draw a straight line, you know. So it would put me on a technical drawing, didn't work. <laughs> but so my dad would pick me up on the Friday night and we'd go via my uncle's pub, have a couple of beers and go home. Okay. And I sat, my dad was up at the end of the bar with his mates. I was at the other piece of the bar there was only a couple of chairs there and I was sitting on one and on my left was a stool that every Friday night would be kept empty until this old guy came in had his two beers and went home he'd done it forever every Friday night as long as my uncle owned that pub that guy was in there <laughs> but only on Fridays okay so he came in my Five minutes before he arrived, my uncle pulled the pint, put it in front of his stool, and I was in the next school. I had a beer in front of me I hadn't even touched, but I had in front of me the letter from MGM, the final rejection. Tommy came in, he sat down, he had a beer, and he was almost through his next beer, and he nudged me, he said, how old are you, boy? I said, I'm just 16, sir. He said, well, See, you should be out with your mates on a Friday night having a good time. What the hell's wrong with you? So I, don't, I didn't even register. He may have seen the letter. So I gave him my sad little life story, how it was all done, all my dreams trashed, gone. Rejected. And so he said, look, I'm an old guy, and us old guys have certain wisdoms that you will grow into eventually in your life. With luck. So here's my number. Let me think about it over the weekend. Give me a call on Monday. Maybe I'll come up with some advice for you. He said, does your dad not help? I said, he's, honestly, he's not interested. As long as I've got a job, that's all he cares about. He said, he said well, look, let me think about it. He says, I'm probably older than dad anyway. So he gave me his number and off he went. I stuffed it in my pocket. And I, I didn't think any more about it. Till Monday, I go into the office 
and I get a huge telling off because I'm supposed to draw straight lines to, for an electrical vehicle and I didn't get the chassis straight. It had the bend in it. So I was told to do it again. I was also told, look, we know you're not interested in this. We know you want to be a photographer because you talk around to the other kids around the class, around the school, yeah. how it works, office. He said, do this, figure out your life. If you don't find you somewhere you want to be in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to say goodbye. So, okay. And then he went out for the day and I thought, what have I got to lose? I got the number out of my pocket, dialed it. The girl answered the phone. She said, this is the MGM still photo department. Can I help you? And I said, yeah, is Tommy there, please? <laughs> and she said, yes, hang on a minute. She said, is that David? I said, yes, it is. She said, we were expecting your call. Tommy came on the line. He said, can you come in for an interview tomorrow? I'm the nice. head printer here. I've been here forever. He said, we're looking for a trainee. And trainees do not have to go through the union. You get your job and then you join the union. Oh. Next day I was there. I didn't even go to, I didn't even tell them where I was. I just went yeah. to MGM. The following week I started at MGM Studios. That's fantastic. And I was the only trainee they'd had in three trainees who was so desperately interested in the job. Yeah. And they would put me out with visiting photographers who would... I, they'd use me as their assistants. So I'd carry their bags, load their film, and watch mm-hmm. and learn. And it was an awesome way to start. And what is really funny now is that pub, my uncle's long gone, that pub is still there. Oh. And not only that, but when I was a kid and my uncle had that pub, that up the road was the de Havilland's aircraft factory okay. where they built warplanes and they built. Oh. They built, started building the Comet, first jet liner there. That's so cool. Now, that aircraft factory is Warner Brothers Leaves and Studios, oh, wow. where they built all the Harry Potters. And I've shot there on missions. I've shot there on Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I've yeah. shot there. It's like, I was just imagining Edge it's of Tomorrow. A, it's incredible. It's a huge movie studio now. That's, that's amazing. And that's, that's where I left. What? It was, you know, they used to help me fixed punches in my tires there when I was a kid what would you say is like the biggest breakthrough for you probably the the best breakthrough I'd done films like Women in Love and The Music Lovers with Ken Russell okay um, who's a wonderful visual director he has a great story in his own right but Ken's films were all about the visual Mm mm-hmm and they were amazing. We did crazy things, but beautiful, beautiful setups. Just right. say, it. especially the stuff on Tchaikovsky was just awesome. Yeah. But having done those two movies, Norman Jewison was coming to England mm-hmm. to make Fiddle on the Roof. And he wanted to look at some photographer's work but he didn't want to meet the photographers. He wanted an exhibition in the ballroom in the Dorchester of photographs. So you were given a plot each, like, an, you know, like a big exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I was up against four or five other photographers who were senior to me, 
and good photographers, right? Oh, gosh. I had the images I put up were from women in love, music lovers, and, you know, very, very outran outlandishly visual subjects. Yeah. Another one of the photographers had just done Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay. Boring. <laughs> Everything Sherlock Holmes is dialogue and dark. Another photographer had done a romance. Mm -hmm. Equally boring. Yeah. Talking, what I call talking headshot movies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was, when I was, I never went to the exhibition, but I was told by the studio afterwards, United Artists, they came and they said, you would not believe it. We walked into that room and there was only one person's picture. So they went, wow. Yeah. From the doorway. That's he awesome. said, that's like yours. Boom, straight over to them. You're hired. You're hired. I was hired. I went on a two-year contract for United Artists. Wow. You know, and it was, it was amazing. But yeah. to get that opportunity and then to shoot Fiddler on the Roof, which was hugely visual. Uh -huh. right? and, and then to go on from that to Jesus Christ Superstar with Norman, equally stunningly visual. Right. Yeah, I got to hang out. I mean, I think of the work I've done. I got to hang out with Jesus and the apostles in the Israeli desert. No, and, and then I got to fly I got to fly in World War II airplanes for 10 months 350 hours of flying Jeez. doing the aero unit on the Battle of Britain oh my gosh you know and that was amazing a couple of crash landings oh my gosh but, you know I crash landed in the Hankel bomber oh one, my god very similar to the one that tried to bomb my house now I'm like doubting this profession. <laughs> I'm so scared of flying. Yeah. It's it's well, the one thing about the job that I'm kind of ner really nervous about is all the flying. Yeah, I mean that's not a story about photography. It's a story about survival. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that too. Uh, but it's kind of fun. It's, uh, yeah. I guess um, you've you've worked with so many amazing big stars and big directors, and can you share that story again on Minority Report? Um, I think, um, forgive me if I'm like messing it up, but you somehow convinced the, the importance of still photos to Tom Cruise. Yeah. I had worked, I when in those years where I was learning editorial yeah. requirements, I was sent on a film to photograph not Tom Cruise. It was, the film was called Legend. Think with Ridley Scott directed, Legend, yeah. yeah. Um, I was there to photograph Tim Curry as the devil, okay, to cover him as five hours of makeup and then him on the set and portrait sessions. And while I was there, Ridley said to me, So, you know what, you might get some pictures of this youngster, Tom Cruise, he's going to go places, yeah. And it was like Tom's first really good shot, yeah. And so, I did shoot a few pictures of him, he was feeding a horse, which is a unicorn or something. <laughs> And, and but basically, I was there to photograph Tim. But so I never worked with Tom again until Minority Report. Yeah. So I, I, I had to figure I don't know Tom Cruise, right? I'm a, yeah, I may, he didn't ever remember it. And so I, I phoned up a few guys who'd worked with him and said, Tell me about him. He said, He won't do anything for you, <laughs> you get what you get. He's not going to pose for anything or anything like that. You just have to get what you get. Mm -hmm. So having done Schindler's List and Private Ryan, that was Spielberg, and he and I had a relationship that really, really worked. I said to Stephen, you know what? 
this is what I hear. So I have an idea if we can make this work that on the first few days I want stills and I think it's an important shot or you think it's an important shot not something I can just grab can we set it up now when you set up a still with Stephen he directs it he always always doesn't matter what it is he'll come in and direct it which is awesome for you because it gives you the actor's attention nobody walks in the shot people that are there it's like a take yeah so and he will direct it and you know you'll shoot an angle and say hey how about over here I said yeah well, what about also it's this way Stephen I like and, and you have a whole little photo session so what we did was that I would call for stills Stephen would direct them then I would come in the next day with huge poster sized prints and they, they I had them done for the subject on metal based paper and they were beautiful and every day I would take them to Stephen. Then Stephen and I would take them and show them to Tom. And Stephen, while Tom's looking at them going, ooh, ah, mm-hmm. Stephen would give him a talk about the value of photographs. Yes. Of how they are the label for the movie, how they're the first thing people see. Mm-hmm. And they can drag people into the cinema. Well, not drag them, but make them run. <laughs> right? Hook them. Hook yeah. them in. And they say, and, and he was... So we did that for two or three weeks. And now after that, I had this relationship with Tom. Yeah. He believes me. He yeah, believes, I mean, he's, he's and hired he, and, he, and, and now he's awesome about, he's like demanding about photographs now. Yeah. You've got, you know, if, if, if you're not there, if he doesn't see you there and you should be there, he'll call for you. Yeah. There, was, there was a scene when we were doing Edge of Tomorrow yeah. where he's in that, incredible suit which he has oh, to yeah. run in and he's uh, he's running towards the camera and there's an explosion behind him yes I remember right? and we shot it really late in the day it was, it was in England in the mud in the dark it was almost dark and I was they had so, several cameras lined up and I was to get the shot I wanted the only way I could get it was to lie face down in the mud underneath all the lenses because he's running right at camera and I want that right at camera I can't be off to the side got to be there so I'm flat down in the mud now lenses above me and I hear he's he's looking around says David is David James here where's David James I said I'm down here Tom (laughs) and he looks around he says good one thumbs up and then he does the run and that's the first look yes image for the movie I remember yeah right but he he is so into that photography now he's so into the salesmanship of the movie. And that's what you're there for, to sell that movie. Yeah. Did I tell you the story about Otto Preminger? I don't think so. Ah. Probably the biggest and best lesson I ever had in the craft. I was doing a film called Bunny Lake is Missing. Right? It was Keir Delay, Laurence Olivia, Noel Coward, and Carol Lindley. Okay. Shot in London. And I got that film. I was doing Women in Love, no, Music Lovers, with Ken Russell down in the New Forest. And I got a call, could I go and meet Otto Preminger at the Dorchester that day? I had in my car a yellow Kodak box of 2016 prints. 
That's their portfolio in those days, a box of prints, not online. It's, could I go and meet him? So I was covered in mud, having been lying face down in my usual position in the dirt. I went to the Dorchester, and I go up to a suite, knock on the door, and there's Otto with a group of guys all in black dinner jackets, bow ties, white shirts. <laughs> and there and you I'm are. standing there like a... <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> okay, Maki Puppet. Um, and they have a circle of chairs, and they, we all sit down, and Otto looks at my pictures, and he hands them around the group. And there was one guy named Alexander Paul, who's he's the guy, he's a Hungarian photographer. He got Otto out of Hungary when Hungary was, was communist. He got him out, took him to Hollywood, launched his career. So he and Otto were great buddies. Mm-hmm. And Alex says to me, do you normally turn up to interviews like this, dressed like that? And yes, Otto, turned, Otto says, Alex, Mr. James is the only one dressed correctly. Mm. The rest of us are in monkey suits. He is dressed correctly for what he does. And they shut them and hold them out. Anyway, I got the movie. Of course and, you did. But in those days, it was a black and white movie. We shot black and white. Right? So... I, Less and, and because I didn't know Preminger, and he was like the first Hollywood guy I worked with, I let the publicist who knew him, and the publicist like was one of the top publicists of the business at that time, said, I'll pick the pictures and I'll show them to Otto. Right? You don't, know, you don't have to look at it. Oh. So he picks up, after about two weeks, he has a box of 8 by 10s mm-hmm. And we're shooting in a pub in Kilburn, night shooting and I'm one side of the pub bar and Otto is the other side and I see Bill Batchelor as the publicist goes over to him gives him the box of prints and I see Otto he's got them and he's got the lid under his chin and he's pulling them down pulling them down pulling them down and they're all 8 by 10 glosses and he pulls them down and then he gets halfway through and he stops and he tears gets hold of the lot and he tears them in half what? He throws them at the publicist and he says in a very, very loud voice across the set so everyone can hear, don't you ever show me this shit again. And publicist leaves. Oh my God. And I leave. And I go outside and I say, Bill, what should I do? And Bill said, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, it's never happened to me in my life before. And this guy, this little guy, Alex Powell, Otto's friend, comes out and he says stop there's nothing nothing wrong with your pictures I've seen them there's nothing wrong with your pictures here's the deal Otto wants you to sell his movie you go to your lab when we wrap tonight and you make 16 by 20 fiber prints and no more than 10 you pick the images not the publicist you go you print them and he knew I was everybody my reputation I had worked on Exodus as a printer which Preminger directed oh wow you know, Israel and Cyprus that was when I was say 17, 18 oh my gosh so I went and, and I was printing for top photographers of the world on that movie so I went we wrapped I went to my lab and I sat there waited till they opened and I spent two thirds of the day making ten beautiful prints 
yeah that night I go home I have two hours sleep I get in the car I go back to London oh, we're now shooting in a big house in Hampstead and Hampstead is this beautiful area on top of a hill gorgeous houses I mean multi multi million pound houses they're beautiful hmm. but we're shooting there for the night and I walk in box under my arm just like the first time I met Otto he looks at me and he says you have something to show me and I said, yes, sir, I have. He says, okay, come with me. So we leave the set. He's done the line-up for the night. We leave the set, and we go to the library, which is his office. And he says, he says you put the prints on the floor. I'm going for the pee-pee. <laughs> I will be back. So I lay the prints out on the floor. You I, got about a minute. If, no, he, said, he did not rush me. I laid them out beautifully. He comes back in, I'm standing by the desk. He comes and sits on the desk, pulls me down beside him, with his hand on my shoulder, and he says, I know these are the images I saw last night. These are beautiful. These, are, these sell my movie. He said, imagine, put yourself in a picture editor's desk. Some, along comes somebody with the prints from last night and puts them on the desk yeah. along comes another man with these prints and puts them on top the only person who's going to see the ones from last night is the cleaner which she throws them away these sell my movie you are here to sell my movie you are here and not just me but anyone you work with in your future you are there to find an image that gets the public to come and buy a ticket to see my movie yeah how you do it is up to you. Sometimes it would not be exactly what's on the camera. One person one side, one person the other. Somehow you've got to get those people close together. You've got to give them an image that says, oh my God, I want to see that movie. Yeah. And that has been my philosophy of my job ever since. Still is. Yeah. I have to come with an image that is so powerful that people want to see that movie. Yeah. And uh, it was a, definitely a valuable lesson just from listening to you and sitting down with you showing my uh, photography because um, the power of cropping is something I never, that never occurred to me at all. And it's, it does make the subject a lot stronger depending how you crop it. And like you taught, it's like, it's kind of like a, a magic trick where you're, you're forcing the eye to look at what you should be looking at and make you feel something about it. So, um, yeah, this whole world of still photography was kind of new to me because I thought everything had to be like widescreen, it, like vertical is too skinny or compressed, but it's not. No, it has to have impact. Yeah. and you, But you can have a picture, you can have a wide picture uh -huh. that... It has to, has to draw you in. Right. And it has to be something that once you look at it, you maybe walk away and you walk back to it and you see something else in it. And you see something else. And there are pictures within the picture. But it's got to be interesting to start. And like two, two headshots and then a big out of focus area, if the headshots are wide apart, doesn't mean much. Unless, it, unless the background also tells a story. Right. Right? 
For instance, Nigel Saving Private Ryan. Yes. We had big battle scenes. And this gives the power of cropping. I would give Steven Spielberg every week prints, A3 or 50 by 20, whatever it were. And some of those big battle scenes, and you see this, and I would see pictures within the pictures within the pictures. So when the film was over, I went on to Memoirs of a Geisha, which Stephen produced. He was originally going to direct it. Rob Marshall directed it, and but Stephen had promised me that movie, and we talked about it right after Schindler's List. <laughs> and I kept saying, when are you going to make it? When are you going to make it? And eventually he said, I don't know how to make a successful movie about women with white faces. <laughs> so he gave it to Rob Marshall, who I'd done Chicago with, and I was really happy about. That must have been so much fun oh, to it shoot. it was awesome. Yeah. It, I loved it. I'm still friends with them all, so... Oh, but jealous. I did... Stephen came to visit the set. I knew he was coming. So in, in this interim, I had done some crops of some of the stuff on Saving Private Ryan, so especially the big battle scenes. Mm-hmm. I said, Stephen, when you've got a moment, before you leave, I want to show you these. And he came over, and I put them out on the board, and they were again 16 by 20. And there was a close-up. One of them, there were many, but one of them was a close-up of a medic's head you only saw him from the base of his nose down, but you saw the cross on his helmet. Yeah. Cradled in his arms was a soldier who was shot. And the, the, the look on the soldier's face was horrifying. Oh. Like he was dying. It was, it was a war picture. It was not a movie store. This was a war picture. Yeah. Right? And, and I had several like that. And Stephen looked and he said, why didn't you show me these when we made the movie? David, come on. I said, I did, Stephen. Then I bought out the original. And, he said, and I said, there, there's that bit. Yeah, and here sh- is that bit. And there is that. And he said, you bastard. <laughs> I said, do you know what you've done for me now? I said, no. He you, said, you're going to shoot means, everything. That, no, he said, that means I have to get a pair of L's and crop everything I've ever shot. I said, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he's done it still, but you never know. Oh, gosh, that's a great story. And uh, along with Saving Private Ryan, you also shared another story. David James is pouring another glass of wine. That is not the sound that you most people might think it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, called, it's called lubrication. Oh, gosh, come on. Now they're painting a picture over Saving Private Ryan. Now you shared a you shared a really cool story because um, Steven Spielberg is like you know like the grandmaster, and we always assume that he knows everything. He knows how to shoot everything, how he wants to do it, how fast he is. But you shared a very like heartwarming story where, uh, forgive me again if I get this wrong, mm-hmm, but no. there was that one day on set for Saving Private Ryan, or was it Schindler's List where he didn't know how to set up the camera? Oh no, that was that was AI. That was AI. Okay. Yeah. And then you, he asked you. Well, here's, yeah, here's the thing. We had done a scene where in AI, the real boy comes back in the wheelchair yeah. into the house, and he's confronted with David. Yeah. The robot boy. Yeah. And it's face to face with them. And the way Stephen shot it was close up, close up, close up, close up. That was no good to me because I wanted to tell the story. 
and the shot of the of David standing there and the shot of the kid in the wheelchair didn't tell the story for me. So I got an angle where I got three quarter on David and the people by him and then three quarter so it's more of a master. Okay. And when Stephen saw that, he said, Damn, that's the shot I wanted for that scene. So the some of the actors had actually finished on the movie. Uh-huh. He called them all back <laughs> and we reset the scene. What he said to me, he said we got them all back and said and he said, Okay, David, I'm going to my office, you set up the shot <laughs> and Janish will light it and then they call me back to direct it. <laughs> so so I set up the shot for him. So. That's so cool. But the best thing Stephen said to me, and it's also a great lesson for people. When we did Schindler's List, and it was the first time I worked with Stephen, oh. on the first day we were in Plashoff Camp, which is a, a concentration camp we built. That's our first day shooting. And Stephen said to me, David, you watch whenever I walk anywhere, a dozen people walk with me. True. And they're waiting for me to make a decision. He said, you have your own free eyes. You can go anywhere, look at anything on your own. You can think about things. You can sort things out. He said, you see something you think I might like. Come, please come show me. And I've had that relationship with him. That That's so I, I would go say, hey, Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. What a guy. But he, and he was using his crew. He was using what they're there for. Yeah. You know, there was there was one shot on on um, Schindler's List that I shot, which was it was railway buffers between the carriages, and it was on the snow landscape, and in the back were the towers and fences of Auschwitz. And I showed him that one later on, and we finished the Auschwitz. And he said, "Damn," he said, "I missed that. I'd love to have had that shot." I said, "Well, it's a static shot film still." <laughs> <laughs> Did he shoot it though? No. Okay. No. No. Um, I had it, and it was okay. in the it was in the book, and it's been used a lot. So. Oh God, I, I want to look at it again. Um, when it comes to Steven Spielberg, um, he's done so many amazing films, but my favorite is AI, because. Um, it's a mother-son love story. Mm-hmm. And he was telling like a sci-fi Pinocchio story at the same time. Yes. And I'm, I'm close with my mother. And that ending of that film killed me. Or it was kind of like a dream sequence. Where yeah. his, his mother is resurrected and they, right. they have one day together. Yes. Um, what was it like overall just shooting that film for you? Did he Was he emotional about it? Like Schindler's List? Or was it no. just... Just another... Nothing, I have not done anything as emotional as Schindler's List. Yeah. I mean, I've done lots of, you know, after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Crystal Skull, Stephen sent me out to do the Pacific to Australia. Oh, okay. That was emotional stuff. I mean, it was, was, you know, all the war stuff is emotional stuff. Especially because you're often, often dealing with guys who've been there. You know, vets would appear. And you were born from that. I was born in that era, yeah. yeah. But it was, um, it, it was it powerful working with Stephen. Yeah. You know, and, and also the, the great thing about Stephen was that he passed on to you his vision. 
the way he shot, the way you just listen to him. I never like, shoot a set up and disappear. I hang around, I listen, I watch, and I record when possible. But all <laughs> the time you're listening and 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 learning. Yeah. But you, but you you always learn and you always. You try, what you try and do is gather the thoughts of the person making the movie, the director, so that you can put into that project what he wants, what his vision is. Yeah, you're augmenting his work yes, and his are. vision. Yes, yeah. you are. So, that's, you know, that's I mean, there, there was There was a day on Private Ryan that we were on the beach in Ireland. We were oh. shooting the landings. Yeah. And Stephen... He as he said in interviews, when he gets out of that car and when he's in, on his way to the set, he doesn't really know what he's shooting. All right, but he gets out of the set and then boom, it comes to him, and usually it does. Usually he's there and he's like a dynamo. But there's this one day he arrived, and this is another great value for good photography. Yeah, is is where you as a part of the team can put your piece in, but. Stephen arrived and he walked up and down the beach and people were like, um, what's happening? What's the show? What are we doing? What are we doing? It's like, yeah, where do we um, set up? What's the, what's the problem this morning? Is it? And, and then I got a call. Could go and speak to Stephen, please? So I went over to him and he and I, we walked away from the crew and he said, can you get me about 15 or 20 slides of what we shot so far? And we, although we were shooting in Ireland, I was having my stuff shipped back to Pinewood Studios in England overnight and then back again. So I, my turnaround was pretty fast. So I was only like a day out. So I went up to base camp back on, on the headland, got in that little tiny publicity trailer, got my light box out, and I pulled out 20 transparencies of two or three days before. So, you know, maybe, maybe in a, out of a week's work, but just not the previous two days. And I went back down in a sheet with a loop and I got down and still nothing still no decision made on what we're shooting so I go up to stand up by Stephen by his side and I got them under my coat said I have some <laughs> so he and I again walk away from the crew and turn our backs to the crew and he looks through the loop and, blah, 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 okay, okay, okay. and he gives them back to me he says thank you Nice. He has both fists up. Thank you. Yes. And he walks back. Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> he said, he, and he told me that he just needed refreshing. He just needed to look again and see and get refreshed. Yeah. And that's what, don't we all? Yeah, he's human. And um, especially you know, when you're standing on no, a no, beach, no. you can, the possibilities of setting up your cameras is endless. So yeah. you, you kind of don't know where to start. That's right. Because it's so daunting. It's also, you know, I, I get up in the mornings now, something, what was I going to do today? Yeah, you know, so, and, and I'm in retirement or semi-retirement. Like, what am I going to do today? I go. I know. I made a list last night. <laughs> you know, I'll go and look some old slides again. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've you're responsible for so many iconic shots. I mean, can you share that story again? Where for Ghost Protocol, you got in the helicopter. Yeah. On like a, a leisure day, I'm doing air quotes, everybody, and Tom Cruise climbed. I don't know what he did. Right, okay, I'll tell you the story. It was and, amazing. And, and it goes back. Oh, my gosh. It goes back to the last days of a shooting on night and day in Jamaica on the same beach he shot cocktail on when he was his youth. Okay. 
and we were finishing the movie on that day and he and I are walking off the beach together and he said and he stops and there's no one else around us he says David I'm going to do another mission <laughs> and I would like you to be there with me and I looked at Surreal. him I looked at him and said I thought about it I, I, mean, I didn't immediately jump oh my god yes thank you Tom that was, that's what I, I would say yeah that's yeah. what a lot of people would say yes you know? but I said okay but and he said but, but what? what I said every time they mention mission even now you're now down to four <laughs> you whenever they mention mission you get that picture of you horizontal in the air from mission one I said mission one Tom we've never done anything in any of the other missions to surpass that moment and he looked at me and said, oh my God, you are right. He said, okay, if we get something great, I'm going to kill that shot. It's being overused. Right. I said, in that case, I'll do it. He said, what's the shot you want? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> when I see it, I'll tell you. Uh, so we arrive in Dubai. Yes. And we're standing, we're doing a rehearsal day at the Burj Khalifa. So we're standing on the platform with all the winch equipment and he's going to be hiked up. He's going to be lifted up on the winch. So the first time up. Now, how many stories is this right well, now? It's 250 floors. 250? It, yeah. it's, it's, it's just over half a mile up in the sky. It's the tallest building on the planet. Yeah. but oh. It's all this man-made building on the planet. And he has no hesitation? None at all. But, it, you know... I, I, I'm standing beside him and I said, I nudge him on the shoulder. I said, okay, I know what the picture is. And he said, what? I said, look up. <laughs> I said, and he does. And he says, well, I'm going. We go. I said, no, up, up. Yeah. I said, on top of this building, there are aircraft warning lights, four, three or four of them at the top. They're eight feet high. So I want you on the tallest point of this building. So you've got to be on top of one of those. And I want to fly around you in a helicopter and shoot you with the whole world behind you. He said, and he gave me a fist punt. You've got it. Oh, my god! I said, and the other thing is, when you do this going up now for the first time, you're going up to 160-something floors. I'm going to be at 156 because they've got the window out and I'm going to be looking straight down at you and I'm going to be looking right on your face please look up and smile and he did <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging out waist out over a hundred and something floors looking down and, and he's half out and he goes and he's barefoot he's got no, no harness no 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 that, no that was rehearsing the scene when we did the shot oh god he was barefoot and that was a, a production de costume designer's idea because we, we had a meeting we had many meetings about that shot really oh yeah well you know it had to be scheduled when it had to be scheduled on the work day when he was because he works seven days a week he does yeah so it has to be on a day that they can schedule him the set around him so I had him, he was on a late call, 11 o'clock call, and I'd been up three times in helicopters looking at the top of the tower at different hours. It was no good in the evening because you couldn't see the city because of yeah. the dust. Yeah. You had to shoot by 9.30 in the morning. 10 o'clock, 
the dust was building up from the heat. Yeah. So the sand off the desert was blowing in. So you had to be there really early. I'd be so scared if I were you. Well, I, I had the door taken off the helicopter and just put my feet out on the Oh, runners. my gosh. But you can't, you can't get too far out. Yeah, you better not. Firstly, a helicopter can only go a certain angle if it's stationary, because then yeah. it's blowing the prop that way and it's, it's going to move. Yeah. And the other thing is that if you lean too far out and you get down the prop wash down, you can't hold the camera still because of the prop wash. You like, so you've got to get just under it. You still have the door off, but there's that moment where the wind shear, you're in it or you're out of it. And you just have to get in it. And but we got we got so close to him when I could have shaken him. It was very close. I mean, yeah. I mean, he look he's barefoot. He doesn't look like he's wearing a harness. But he was, yeah. He was. He was wearing a harness. Yeah, yeah. He, he but only one, and you could not see it. I would it have seventeen harnesses on me. There was no no retouching on that picture at all. Oh wow! And people people accuse us of of faking it. They do. And I said, look, it's perfectly focused. There's graffiti too. on the top of that tower. And when they were building it, people do do hang gliding off it. Oh my right? gosh. And they put graffiti up there. And, and they banned that after a while because they, <laughs> they call it abseiling or something to do with it. I don't know. Right, but, but they, they banned that after, after a couple of accidents. Um, oh my gosh. But I said, if, if that was fake, that graffiti would not be there. I would have, I'm so perfectionist, yes. I would have taken that out. Yes. I said, and I looked at that on the image. I thought, no, you can't take that out. That picture, A, would never be repeated because the birds would not allow it. Mm -hmm. And for value for money for the studio, it was, first it's been worldwide and it's still being used. Yeah. And Jay Leno had it on his show with Tom, with an interview with Tom. And they talked about it extensively. And then they had the commercial break and then they came back, and then obviously they talked about it in the commercial break. Because then he came back, and, and Jay said, Tom, you want to say, I'll ask you another question about this picture. Where was the photographer? And then Tom said, it was David <laughs> James sky. who shoots with me a lot. He was hanging out of a helicopter. And Jay said, that sounds like a really silly thing to do. He says, well, we do adrenaline very well together. Jeez. You must be an adventurer yourself because you shot uh, the rest of the Mission Impossibles after that, which I shot. Yeah, yes, and uh, yeah, Fallout was my last one. Yeah, yeah, Fallout, yeah. which is a, a superb film. Yes, and you're all over the world. I mean, these are action films. I mean, you shot Star Wars, The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. The Last Jedi, and you did a few things on for Top Gun, which they're in post right now. Uh, yeah, and, and you did just a little bit. There's a, just, a yeah. scene with Val Kilmer I shot with him. And um, how, how grueling is it on you? I mean, physically and emotionally. It keeps you young. It does? Yeah. Adrenaline keeps you young. I guess yeah. I don't have any. <laughs> no, you're young. You don't I'm need not it that yet. young, yeah. sir. Yeah, but you need it. You don't need it. I'm yet. 37. Well... That's young, believe me. I mean, you look like you're 50. Yeah, um, sometimes I don't feel that. Well. But most of the time I do. I don't, you know, I don't, there's a, occasional aches and pains that you think, I didn't get that before. Yeah, that's, but I feel it like, mostly I feel like I'm still 36. Wow. Well, yeah. Then you shouldn't retire, Mr. James. You should be, still be working. I have, I've retired from unit work. I'm not doing <sighs> any more unit work. 
You really, have, you know, having said that, yes. Was it, was it Roger Moore said, "Never say never." Yes. Yeah. So I mean, so you're telling me with your eyes that you may come back because Mission Impossible Seven, Eight. No, not maybe. Me. Maybe no. Nine and Ten. No, I've done missions. Okay, done missions. Well, that's They're, my dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they keep making, no, you them. do it. I just like, I've I've done them. Yeah. Um, you have to be willing to do seven days a week, anything from 12-hour minimum days. Yeah. Even though... It's a grind. Even if, you're shooting, if they're shooting in Europe, which they generally do, it's a 10-hour day. But it's never a 10-hour day. No. You know, it goes on, and it's like an hour's overtime here, there, and then you have to go download and edit, and then you want to send Tom some pictures at night. Yeah. It's, it's tough. That's the yeah. only part that I'm kind of exhausted by is the editing after the, a long day of shooting. I find it so rewarding that before I go to bed, I know what I've got. But then, but often you get into a situation where you're so excited by what you go shot, you forget to go to bed. Yes. I mean, yes. When, when I did Chicago, which is the first film I did digitally, okay, in Toronto, up in Toronto. I would be sitting there working and I work on my images and I suddenly oh crap if, you know we, we wrap at 10 o'clock we have an 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock call the next morning and it would be like 3 or 4 o'clock and I'd still be editing because I'm excited yeah you know I'm dealing with the visuals I can see and I can control yes no lab controls them I agree no with lab you. can screw them up yeah and I've had so much film screwed up by labs I mean I'm, I'm not down crying labs where would we be without them but accidents happen. I had one lab in England when I was doing specials on a Bond film who boiled all my film. Oh, they, which they, Bond film? It, it was MGM's lab, right? which is where I'd grown up. But we did the, they, they did the color processing on a big session I did with Bond and the girls. And we, it was a whole day shoot in, Regents, in uh, yeah, Richmond Park and it cost a lot of money. And they they had replenished all the developers the day before. Only the first wash tank after the first development, they left boiling water in it, oh and, and they boiled all the emulsion off. So oh ruined God. the whole day shoot. Oh God! I had another lab here in Hollywood, who mounted every slide on thirty five halfway through each image, because they didn't calibrate the machine properly. And then another one. They dropped all the film in the developer and they swore they never had it until they emptied the developing tank and found it sitting there a month later. Well, thank God for technology. Thank God for technology. I mean, yeah. to, for me to be able to look at those images before I go to bed, awesome. You're right. You know? it, is, it is exciting. I, I do, when I shoot, shot a short film recently, coming home, I, I am excited to like look at them and select which ones I'm going to edit and then... To get the reaction from the filmmakers, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty satisfying. And then I get sad because I'm tired. <laughs> and then you just want the next film, the next gig. And uh, yeah, that, that adrenaline, the hunt is uh, pretty exciting. But here's, here's the deal. One of the great things I've learned about that, when you've done the editing, you don't just go and crawl into bed. Put on some music. I mean, preferably some like classical or something, not pop. Okay. Glass of wine. Okay. Or 
tea or something or lemon juice, hot lemon juice, something. Relax. Sounds good. Just relax and unwind because you are you've built up your adrenaline looking at those images. Yeah. Yeah, and, and working this one, and you think and you think oh, that's an awesome image. My God, I've done that well. Yeah, I got to do more. But no, but even even that just is it's an adrenaline push. Yes. And you were like, wow, I've done that. Yeah, and I can't wait for the next day. Right. Yeah. And I forgot to shower. <laughs> I forgot to floss. I forgot to work, change clothes. But see, if you're working with Tom, yeah. and when you finish that edit, you're going to send him some pictures. He, he looks at them every day? Oh, yeah. He loves to see them. He doesn't sleep? I don't think he does. Oh, I mean, so I, know, I know he's a... I think it's, I've been told he sleeps for like four or five hours. How does he get this energy? I, I wish I had Some that. people do. There are people who only need four hours sleep. Others need eight, ten. Uh, seven, I'm good. Six, I can do. Yesterday afternoon, I mean, I'm not working at the moment. But yesterday afternoon, I was editing some pictures in the morning. Because uh-huh. I'm trying, I've got things on so many drives. I'm trying to pull them all onto one or two. One in the backup. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. And it's like... I got drives. I looked at a drive the other day in the drawers, I, and it's got. I put a tag on it. It's Dream Girls, so all the Dream Girls <laughs> images are on that drive. So I got to sort those out. What I want to keep, what I don't want to keep, and I'm thinking about doing a book as well. So I got oh, to please. look at images of those. Kind of interesting going back through the stuff I shot on Marlborough, for Marlborough calendars. Okay. Beautiful naked girls in beautiful places of the world. <laughs> I mean. Beautiful those, naked girls. Those days are gone because people don't smoke anymore. That's uh, right. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> but I got the best of it. Yeah. And I didn't have to smoke. That's good. For me, the whole career is built on amazing moments of getting amazing pictures that last forever. Speaking of history, I mean, your your daughter is following in your footsteps. My daughter is she's building her own legend and she's got her already an impressive resume with she has uh, a very impressive resume with, yeah her her best i mean her best work so far yes is yet to be seen it's a film called dune yes with rebecca ferguson great cast oh my god fantastic cast fantastic director yeah Denis Villeneuve yeah, yeah. i mean i went and visited her and visited the set in budapest yeah it's kind of weird. She's, she put somebody's Leica in my hand to play with. I wasn't allowed to shoot stills, but I was allowed to play with the Leica. <laughs> just, made, just made me feel comfortable. <laughs> so, but it was awesome to watch her. That's you know? so great. Well, I mean, a couple of last things I just want to cover. Um, uh, you, you're one of the founders of the Society of Motion Picture. Yeah, still photography. Still photography. Yeah. Uh, what led you to do that and what does it do if you could just share that with people yeah the the idea starting it was that as a still photographer on the set you are a solitary item you are a member of the camera crew but you're not you are there on your own as an individual yeah you don't have much room or time for conversation with other members because you're forever looking at pictures. Yeah. Or four pictures, right? Sounds good so, to me. Um, a few of us got together and said, you know what, it would be nice to have a social. So we would 
get together maybe once or twice a year and and being members we can com- you know communicate with each other we can talk we can meet for a beer or you know a glass of wine or something mm-hmm. and chat because now we have a, our own little unit yeah you know and, and that was it and and what we've gone on now is to promote the still photographer image to to promote what still photography means to mm-hmm. movies and how it should be looked after and respected yes thank you, you for know? saying that because a lot of young filmmakers don't know the value of still photography. Well, because they think no, it's like a, it's very true. It's they think it's like just the documentation of behind the scenes, but what they don't know, like you shared, is it's so crucial to selling your film. It is. It's a label. It's yeah. the first label you put on the can. A trailer is not going to do it. I mean, um, it has to be an image where you can always look back on yeah. it, and it, if it makes you feel something, one, it'll one make an impact. One of the things Premi just said to me, he said. Well, Imagine going into a grocery store and you want to buy a can of beans. <laughs> and you, like, you get in the aisle where the cans of beans are. And, no and they're all silver cans. Which, <laughs> which can of beans do you buy? So you buy one that has the most impact picture. That's yeah. the one. You may not buy it, but that's the one that you go to first. Yes. That's such a good an, uh, know, metaphor for that. And it's the same way... There's another hint there where, where I'm photographing and I'm teaching people about photographing people. Or if I'm photographing an actress, or I tell them where to look, mm. right? If you look at the camera, that's where the focus stops. You go to any newspaper rack and you see all those magazine covers of models, girls, actresses, whatever, looking at you from the magazine. Yes. It's all blank. Occasionally, you'll get one that attracts you, that makes you go, drags your eye right back to it, because she's looking, or he's looking at you. It's hypnotic. Because because those eyes go beyond the the, the magazine cover. They go into your brain. And that's where I have the actress or the actor look into my brain mm-hmm. go through the camera there's no camera there's me you get in here all right and and that's it does work and i've had many an actress say well thank you i never thought of that that's so awesome and, and it is yeah. awesome it's just that depth of focus that they put out yeah but and the actors you have to respect actors right yeah say, and, and and you have to respect where they're from you have to respect where their minds are. They're not just on you taking pictures of them. They're on the character. Work with Daniel Day-Lewis. I yeah. mean, unfortunately, you won't get a chance now. He's retired, unless he comes back. But I love that story you shared on Lincoln about Mr. Lewis. He treats you as his photographer. Mm. Right? And, and you, t- you treat him as president, Mr. Yeah. President. Yes. <laughs> not as Daniel, not as Mr. Lewis. Mr. He's president. Mr. He is Mr. President. Yes. And whatever film he's on, the first film I did with him was Nine. Oh, yeah. And he was Guido, right? With an Italian accent, Guido. Yeah. Because Guido was the director. And he would not pose for stills, for gallery sessions. No. The director does not do gallery sessions. Right. Right. He doesn't. Anyway, that Guido doesn't. Others do. What do you do in that case? I mean, you need a a good shot. you, You shoot 
him as the director. And yes, there's always moments that you can use a lot, you can get a great headshot, but he's in action. He's not going to pose with beautiful lighting as a gallery thing. Okay. I did that with all the actresses, right? but not with him. But so there's one day in Rome, on the last night of shooting in Rome, we're standing on a street corner at night and opposite in the background on the other side of the street is a theatre, which is where he's supposed to have come out of. I'm on the off, off the street corner and he's coming across the street and on the, around the corner facing him is a poster. On his three-quarter left shoulder is a street lamp. Okay. The street lamp is lighting the poster and he looks at me and he walks over close to the poster so he gets the bounce back of the light and he looks right in my lens and I go nice. two shots and he winks at me and walks away that's the only gallery session I'm going to get with him oh wow and it was awesome it was so awesome and it was such a beautiful picture my heart would be pounding because like, you only have one shot yeah but, yeah, but he knows and you take it I did that with Jack Nicholson once oh my gosh and we were shooting in New Orleans and the camera we're shooting in a cafe at night and the camera is inside, so he's behind a window. Okay. Right? The, the window is it's a deep entrance to the cafe. So on the, behind the window to the right, you can see Jack sitting at the table, and there's a camera, and there's no way you can get in there. So I just lifted my lens to the... I took the lens shield off, lifted my lens to the glass, and Jack looks at me, and he goes, click, one frame. Oh my God! And he po he did it for me, right? And we talked about it later. And he said, "And thank it. God it's in focus." Yeah, for you. Yeah. That's one one of the things that Stephen said to me. He said, "You only need one shot." Mm. I mean, there's there's this thing now about having the motor drives that the publicists use or the studio photo editors come and say, "If you've got someone in your lens, just shoot a hundred pictures of it." because they got 50% approval, or 50 like this and this, that. And, and you've, so their publicists have 50% approval, this is that. And if you've got two or three actors in the shot, they all have 50% approval. Yeah. Okay, but there's 200% of your picture gone. So, I mean, that's another beauty of digital. Yeah. You get that one great frame, dupe it 10 times, give it more new numbers, boom. You're going to cover it. Because <laughs> it's all the same shot. That's a good strategy. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. have to steal that from you. You only, so Steve says, you only need one frame, but you, you, you could duplicate that frame for all the people who want kills. You know? Yeah, yeah. Do you, out of all the, out of all the films you shot, I mean, it, it's hard to pick. Like, do you have like a personal favorite, experience-wise? I get something out of all of them. Yeah. Is there's moments from each. I think if you had to say personal favorites all the way through, women in love, music lovers, man who fell to earth, and for different reasons. Jesus Christ Superstar, musicals. I love musicals. Love them. Musicals and war, my favorites. That can be fun right. to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the because they're so visual. Yeah. Definitely. They are so visual. You know. Yeah. And the lighting's all set up for you. Well, the production design looks amazing. Yeah, but he, on on um, Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hanks used to call me Mr. Kappa. Mr. Kappa? Yes, Robert Kappa. Oh. Who was a 
great. I've heard of the name. Oh my God, you've got to study him. Okay. Robert Kappa, and, and read the book that he wrote, his own book. It's called Slightly Out of Focus. Slightly Out of Focus. It's the greatest lesson in photography. Oh, okay. When I shot Private Ryan, I would run with my camera, and I'd never shoot faster than the 60th of a second. Oh, okay. well, sometimes, oh, really? Sometimes slower, yeah. Oh, wow. Let it move. Let it, let it be messy and mucky and nasty. Oh, right, and the more right. And the more you make the imagination work to look at it, the better. Right, right. But, you know, Robert Kappa eventually had had an affair with Ingrid Bergman, <laughs> and she made him be her still photographer on movies in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And in his book, in Slightly Out of Focus, he writes the great similarity of being a still photographer and a warm photographer is hours and days of tedium followed by moments of glory that's a good quote yes that should be the end quote wow i'm gonna wrap it up because uh uh, i know you only have an hour um david james this has been surreal and uh I, i can't tell you how grateful i am with uh keeping in touch and um criticizing my photography and uh, for those of you listening criticizing is not always a negative thing and I mean you have to take some tough love to get better and it's happened to me yeah and uh, it's it's still happening to me and uh, this is the current dream I have Um, I'm only non-union but uh, um, I do want to shoot movies for the rest of my life and you've helped me become a better with my eye with my cropping, <laughs> with my uh, exposure, and most importantly, uh, emotion. Um, so I think you should, I hope you finish your book, sir. I, I mean, will, I will. And I hope you make more books, and maybe your um, autobiography can turn into a film, which Christopher McQuarrie can adapt. <laughs> and, and, um and make it into a film and maybe you maybe change it diff- oh I mean who knows yeah <laughs> who knows right I mean you know why not you gotta write what you know and uh, uh, you've been a you've been a fantastic mentor and um, it's it just bumps me out that you're retired so because I can't wait to see what you shoot next right so thank- there you go I've retired from unit work I've not stopped shooting retired from unit work I've ladies not stopped and shooting yeah. yes who knows you might shoot Daniel Day-Lewis on an Italian coast somewhere and well, I, I think it would be more like with Daniel, it would be in a, a Tuscan shoemaker's shop where he's sitting there making shoes. That which sounds I know so he loves cool. doing. Yeah, why not? I yeah. mean, you're, you're already a journalistic uh, photographer. Right. Um, so thank you for being here. And, My uh, pleasure. Please eat the rest of the cheese. And uh, <laughs> I'm very buzzed right now. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, thank you for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next time.